Welcome to our first session. I'm Charlotte Knight. I'm Marketing Communications Manager here at PASL. Um, this is our first CMO Series webinar, so it's um, a pleasure to have you all on. And today we have the pleasure of um, speaking to Mikhail Kalashtuka, who joins us from Novosel UK. So I guess before we, we kind of dive into what we're going to be talking about today, on the series, uh, we aim to kind of address some of the hottest topics in professional services marketing today, looking at some of the latest trends, the insights and developments in the space, uh, both to help you succeed as professionals, but also to take the industry forward. So the series comes off the back of the CMO Series podcast, which you may be familiar with. So um, I'd like to welcome Mikel, as, as I mentioned today. Um, Mikel joins us from Novacell UK. He is head of development there and is an expert in composable architecture, which is today's um, theme, composable architecture and why it can benefit your firm. So um, Mikel has lots of experience in doing this for professional services firms. Um, he actually joined us at our CMO series live conference in the summer, um, and he took to the stage to discuss the benefits of the composable approach um, to website builds. So he's gonna join us today to kind of delve a bit deeper into the subject. And for those who obviously didn't make that session, um, hopefully it will be kind of, you know, interesting and insightful to you as well, I think. You know, the feedback we had from that day was that this felt like quite a new concept to lots of people. So we're hoping that we can kind of help kind of spread the word and, um, you know, inform more people about how how it could be game changing for firms like yours. So the session today will cover um, composable architecture and the differences between that and the kind of traditional monolithic approach to website builds. Uh, we'll look at how it can transform your uh, website development and operations and give your firm a competitive edge in the market. Um, and we'll also look at how marketers can harness Composable uh, to align it with their marketing objectives and also exceed their client expectations as well. So the session will last around an hour and, as mentioned, include plenty of time for Q&A. So please um, feel free throughout to, to drop us some questions in and um, Mikkel will happily answer those. Thank you for having me and thank you everyone for joining. I always uh, welcome the opportunity to talk about this, uh, this topic. It's a, it's a topic that I'm very passionate about and I've been spending quite a few years uh, within this, um, this technology. So let me share my presentation. Here we go. So today's topic is user-centric composable architecture and how it can benefit your business. Um, this topic has two sides to it. Uh, there's the user-centric part, which most people understand, and then there's the composable architecture, which is new to a lot of people. And today I will speak about both and then try to bridge them together uh, to see how the composable architecture actually can be an enabler for a user-centric approach. So the agenda of this webinar today, I'll just give a short introduction to Novicel, uh, me being uh, the technical director of Novicel. Of course, it makes sense to just explain briefly what it is that we do. And then I'll go into the user-centric composable architecture. Uh, on the back of that, when we understand the principles, I will speak a little bit about composable enablers, which is basically things that are required in order to 
go composable. And then that translates into the user-centric nature of all of this with seamless user journeys. Uh, I'll also look at what does the investment profile of a composable project look like, and I'll speak about the benefits. And then finally, some key, uh, key takeaway uh, and questions. So let me proceed. First of all, my name is Mikkel. Uh, I'm from Denmark. I moved to UK um, some three and a half years ago now with my family just before COVID. Interesting times. Uh, I am the technical director of uh, Nouvecel UK. And before that, I worked with, uh, with Nouvecel in Denmark as well. I've been in the internet industry for more than uh, 25 years. Um, and that means that I've seen everything from when it was very, very simple and easy to today where we have this complex landscape of a lot of different responsibilities and capabilities with our web platforms. Um, and then of course, uh, being present from the early days of the internet, I have a love of all things uh, digital. Um, briefly about Novacell, we are a full service digital consultancy. And we like to say we combine strategic, creative, and technical skills to help companies optimize their business online. So business online is important here. That is what we do. Um, and to dive a little bit uh, further into that in a second. First, I'll just mention that we have a presence throughout Europe, originating from Denmark, uh, but also offices in, in Spain and Norway, Sweden, uh, UK, and, and the Netherlands as well. So um, we pride ourselves on being a full-service agency, and that means that we deliver end-to-end solutions. We don't necessarily do all of these things for all our customers. We like to say we have a mix-and-match approach, so whatever makes sense in a given context of a client. Uh, we help our clients with digital strategy. We help them with user-focused design, so that's user journeys and personas and audiences and measure or looking at what the success look like. We do architect and technology advisory. That's among other things, my role. Then of course we do development of website platforms. We also have a data value team that will review those KPIs that were decided in the digital strategy phase of the project and make sure that we measure and continuously review uh, the numbers uh, as the website um, makes its way into real life and production. We do e-commerce and we help our clients host um, the platforms that we build. And then finally, but most importantly, we have a digital performance team, which enable uh, our clients to get better performance. And here we're not talking about response time or how quick your website is. Here we're talking about the business performance, meaning will help you optimize research engine optimization, paid media, but also content or video strategies, depending on what can help you drive more traffic to your website. We've, uh, we have a number of uh, clients in the professional uh, services and legal services. These are some of them. Um, also, we like to think that we are thought leaders within this, this uh, field. So we, we also do seminars on a regular basis. We have uh, industry insights as, um, as white papers, uh, et cetera. And then we do this thing called Sweet Talks, which are uh, exclusive uh, dinners for CMOs where we discuss uh, different aspects about uh, websites and um, how to go uh, about with your digital business. Enough of the sales pits about Novacell uh, and me. So let's go on to the topic, uh, user-centric composable architecture. So most people engaging in a, in a big website project uh, 
have the expectations of everything will go fairly straightforward A to B. Those that have tried this know that that's not uh, actually the case. Uh, and by making that an upfront observation, then we can uh, take mitigating uh, actions against the risk that we know will be there. So in reality, um, the reality is filled with legacy systems, technical debt and broken dreams, especially if you have a fairly advanced setup with multiple different content sources or systems that needs to be integrated and, and speak together. This is the premises of any project. I've done this for 25 years and I haven't seen a single project that went straight from A to B anywhere, anytime. Um, and I like to think it's not because I don't know what I'm doing, <laughs> but this is just the premises of a project because it's so complex nowadays and there's so many moving parts. So building a new website from the ground up is a complex and challenging task and it requires careful planning and execution. Uh, especially when it revolves around um, platform selection or services or SaaS services or whatever systems you need to utilize. We often see companies select platforms based on personal preference or existing legacy systems or for other historical reasons. But when a business requirement is unsupported by that platform, it can quickly become complicated and expensive. Um, and the decisions are too important to be taken lightly. Making the right decisions early on can help you avoid getting locked in to your choices for many years to come. And this is probably the most important sentence of this entire webinar. How do you avoid getting locked into those early choices and um, end up in a situation where you have to rebuild from scratch every time uh, a bigger change happens in, in your business? So um, the most important thing initially is to go about your platform selection in a strategic manner. And basically high level, there are three different ways you can build your platform. You can either go and choose a boxed suite, which is what we call a monolith. So that's a single platform or system that can do everything you need. Or you can go with the composable strategy where you can mix and match best of breed. You can find different systems for different responsibilities and, and compose them together into a single platform. And then finally, there's a custom where you get whatever you need. Uh, so box suite, best of breed, or whatever you need. I kind of like that. <laughs> um, okay, so for the boxed solution or the suite, uh, it's typically one platform vendor it's difficult to customize and few options from different vendors. This is for simple use cases. It has a low effort to build and a high effort to customize. And that's kind of the main point in this entire um, uh, webinar as well. Then we have composable. So that's mix and match best of pieces that has been professionally built by a, a number of vendors. Um, you can buy some, you can build some, you can use existing legacy systems, et cetera, and compose them together into a single unified user experience. This has medium effort to build, but low effort to customize on the other hand, again, because things are not in one big system, but distinct, small, smaller responsibilities. I will go more into details on this. Uh, and finally, you can build by hand from scratch, uh, full ability to customize every small, 
detail to your business requirements. Of course, this is for very complex use cases, high effort to build, high effort to customize. So the strategic platform selection process, first of all, is about evaluating whether there's a single platform out there that fits your needs, your business requirements. If that's the case, then that's by far the, the, the most cost-effective way of going about doing your web uh, platform. However, that's rarely the case. Uh, oftentimes, there's always a few integrations or a few different subsystems that needs to be included into the website. The important decision is here that if you choose the boxed solution, then you stick with the functionality that is available. As soon as you start customizing or changing the functionality that are uh, in the box, uh, then the challenges and the troubles uh, start to appear. So when there's no box solution that actually fits uh, the business requirements, then the next thing to do is to compose best of reads, uh, SaaS services platforms or legacy systems into this unified platform. And then finally, if that's not applicable, then we can build custom. And it goes without saying that risk and complexity goes up and the time spent and the budget will also go up as we proceed through this uh, ladder. Um, so that's the strategic platform uh, choices that you have to make. make. Then comes the customer-centric part. So you want to stay relevant. And there's two sides to the benefits of the uh, composable architecture. One is the strategic choices and how you can avoid getting locked into your choices in the future. But also now you have a more complicated setup. So how do we actually enable that customer-centric um, approach? So when uh, businesses fail to meet the expectations of the customers, the competitors are just one click away. So I, I like to say this because people tend to forget that as a private person, you know exactly when you're browsing um, the internet, if a website fails to deliver what you expect, there's always another website just around the corner. And in this digital race, you're no longer unique. There's always another option with better usability, better performance, uh, or better user experience. So you basically need to work hard to stay relevant. So I like to bring up Charles Darling here because that's of the essence of what composable architecture is. Um, what he said is still true. It is not the strongest of the species that survive, nor the most intelligent, but the ones that are most responsive to change. So this responsiveness to change is a key factor in, in, um, in composable architecture. So the first observation here is that you need to stay relevant by being responsive to change. So that basically means changes in your business, changes in your um, organization, changes in the way you conduct business or how you engage with uh, your audience. So on to the, uh, the more technical part of this presentation. In order to understand the future and the composable architecture, it's important to understand the past. For this um, segment of my webinar, I usually like to bring in uh, Lego bricks. Uh, I need to position it here. Uh, being from Denmark, uh, I happened to grow up in Billund, which was where the Lego brick was invented. So this is a toy that is very close to my heart. But it also uh, is a, a very good way of describing what we're actually talking about here. 
So imagine this is your monolith with different responsibilities. You might have CMS uh, functionality, personalization functionality in here, um, talent acquisition platform integrated into this, search, uh, email marketing or marketing automation, etc. And then you have your front end. This looks very pretty and, and neat. It is a, a boxed solution uh, with the functionality out of the box without any modification. So this just does exactly what's advertised. And if that fits your business, great. That's by far the simplest approach. But what we see typically is that that monolith gets customized, modified, changed um, with new functionality and new capabilities. So now we have different colored bricks here and those colors represents changes or customizations that's been done to the monolith. And over time, this uh, tend to increase. Uh, so you might start with changing just one bit or adding another bit, uh, trying to substitute how the platform does a specific thing, uh, search for instance. You might actually end up starting building on the side and trying to add something uh, that didn't fit in the first place. So now you have a modified monolith and that's basically the worst possible position you can be in. And again, here I'm talking about the strategic nature of having a platform. This means that when this monolithic platform, it's time to upgrade it, or when it's end of life, then you basically have to throw it all away because you've modified it so much that there's no direct upgrade path or the upgrade path is, is, is very costly. Um, and that leaves you with few options uh, on how to proceed and it will be expensive. Um, so imagine instead of having this monolith with all of these different pieces, what if the monolith was not a monolith? What if this was a composable architecture where each of these different responsibilities was an individual system that was then composed together to a unified experience? So having a dedicated system for your talent acquisition uh, platform, having a dedicated system for content, having a dedicated system for insights, uh, maybe having a service for search and personalization and so on, and then combine it all in a seamless integrated uh, front end. So this, this is the general, general idea that we break up the monolith into the individual responsibilities, and then, um, and then we compose these responsibilities together by utilizing uh, different services. So that's the second observation from today. There's no single system that does everything well. And this is a known fact. There's never a silver bullet, of course. Um, so tackling all of this complexity uh, can be challenging uh, to maintain, debug, and scale. Um, but simplicity uh, promotes efficiency and agility and ease of use. So how do we tackle this complexity? The solution is to divide and conquer and break down the complex problem or task into smaller, more manageable parts. And here we like to speak about the concept of a digital business capability that clearly defines the skills, resources, and digital assets required to effectively execute a core business function in an online environment. So this is a means of looking at the different responsibilities and breaking them down to individual parts. And then a packaged digital business capability is a single core business function 
that can be effectively managed, supported, developed, deployed, and scaled in isolation. So this is the Lego brick uh, we discussed uh, just before. Uh, this has a clear interface to the outside world. You can put bricks on top, you can put bricks on the bottom, but you cannot do anything on the sides. This has a clear responsibility and a clear uh, boundary. And it does exactly what is uh, required. Um, so the composable architecture is about um, breaking down your entire website platform into distinct components uh, aligned with the package business capabilities. Again, this could be your search personalization, marketing automation, your uh, people bio information from, uh, from your ERP or CRM system, uh, etc. Each of these are regarded as separate responsibilities. And then the composable architecture fosters the ability to change any one of these components uh, at will. So whenever a package business capability needs replacement, it can be done without affecting the integrity of other systems or processes or data. Um, so by choosing a composable architecture, you avoid getting locked in to your choices for many years to come. Because when something is end of life or needs uh, to be substituted, you don't have to throw away the entire monolith. You actually only have to throw away that one brick, which again creates longevity and return on investment on your entire uh, web platform. Okay, so moving on, uh, third observation here is that the composable architecture allows effectiveness through evolution flexibility and longevity for maximizing that return on investment. I will come back to the investment profile of a composable uh, platform again. Okay, so now I promoted best of breed and selecting the services, um, the best of services that you can find out there. But this requires a strong focus. The optimal platform or service, of course, varies for each organization as there are no silver bullets. A great example from my everyday life here is that I used to do this presentation with small Lego bricks for big crowds, which is not optimal because of the size, of course. So I requested someone from, an from my organization to get me Duplo bricks, which are these bigger bricks. But what actually happened was that the person in charge of that didn't, uh, didn't know uh, the best of breed. So I got this copy product from, from China, which says it's compatible. It is compatible with most uh, most <laughs> other brands, but this is a good example of best of breed yet again, because it's probably not what everyone thinks is the best uh, toy out there or replacement, but for this specific purpose that I have to explain a concept for you, this is the perfect break. So that kind of showcase that best of breed is not the same for every use case. Uh, the best Fit depends on your requirements and your organization's skills and bandwidth. Uh, so you do need to consider best of need. What do you actually need? Best of capability. What are you capable of driving in your organization? Is it a tool that requires you to have 10 dedicated people to, to, to drive the, uh, the service? Or is it an automated thing that just does its job by itself? Uh, so before deciding on best of breed, uh, these are things that you need to also consider. So for someone, it might be system A, for someone else, it might be system B. 
Okay, so that's composable architecture. So uh, now talking about composable, uh, then of course you need to think about how to stitch all of these different services together. And, and one of the core concepts of that is, is headless. So let me move on into uh, an underlying principle uh, within composable architecture, which is basically this acronym called MAC. And the first letter is M for microservice. Again, instead of having a monolith as a one single system, we break down the system into microservices. Those services that we employ uh, needs to be API in, uh, enabled. API means application programming interface is basically a way for two systems to speak together in a loosely coupled manner. So an interface between two systems without human uh, interference. We like systems that are API first, meaning that the, the vendor that built the service or platform um, made sure that all functionality, uh, not only public facing uh, or extracting content, but also management can be done by an API. Um, because that means that we can utilize functionality about creating different assets automatically. For instance, a, a campaign can be uh, added by a system rather than a person um, utilizing a, a, a graphical user interface to take a word from, from the days of old. C is for cloud native, which means that this is typically something that is hosted in a serverless um, cloud uh, fashion. If we talk about SaaS services, that's of course the responsibility of the vendor, but typically this is something that scales, also scales um, depending on the requirements and, and how much compute is needed. And then finally, we have headless, which is basically uh, a concept of, um, of uh, subdividing one system into two systems. More about that in a second. There's a global alliance of uh, companies and software vendors that um, adhere to this way of building called the Mac Alliance. We are very proud members of that alliance as one of the few um, uh, consultancies. Most of the members are actually software providers, uh, CMS providers, commerce providers, etc. So one very important enabler here is what we call true headless. So how to achieve this composition of platforms and services to enable at the end of the day, because this is what it's important, that technology is not at all important, but to enable that seamless and fully integrated user experience. So in order to understand headless, which basically is not the same as composable to answer the question, but it's an enabler. It's something that needs to be present in some way or another uh, in your platform setup. And with true headless, which I will explain in a second, that's kind of where the glue between all the subsystems live. So what does not a system that is not headless look like? A system that is not headless is one system that both has the interface for, for managing the platform. In this uh, example, it's a content management system. So that basically means that you have the uh, editor um, area is the same box, the same system as the front end. So here, you're, those two things are tied together. The CMS system is built on a technology, and that means that the front end inherits that technology. If you need integrations, those integrations will, will be heavily built into this CMS system, ending up in a situation like this. What you want is headless. So this means that separation of concern, we separate the single system into 
two separate systems. So now we have a content management system that is only that, it's just content management, but not the website, not presentation of how that content translates into a website. And then we have a dedicated website built on modern uh, um, internet um, principles like HTML, JavaScript, CSS, clean, no technical depth, no technical dependencies on your actual platform. This is headless in its, is in its true um, uh, nature. That was a little bit confusing. I used the true word. So now on to true headless. So what happens with true headless is that we introduce an intermediate storage between the content management system and potentially other systems between the website front end and introduce yet another microservice in between, which is basically just an API. So this means that now we can accumulate the content from the CMS and potentially other sources into this intermediate storage and then expose all of that content uh, through an API to uh, a loosely coupled website that now only depends on the API. That means we have a contract between the two systems. Again, there's an API and there's a front end and there's a contract. So it becomes easier to maintain your CMS, upgrade your CMS or change your CMS in the future. Or vice versa, it becomes easier to do a big rebrand or build a new website because the responsibility of the content is now solely with the CMS, not how the branding or website looks. So you can embark on building content strategies on more longevity in your content strategy. So building an, a sound information architecture that doesn't change as often as the user expectations or the branding does. Um, it even means that uh, your content management system and other systems doesn't need to be exposed to the public because now the website only runs on top of the API and the intermediate story. And that basically means that you can secure and lock down your CMS system entirely, which means that it's secure by design. Um, but you can also take it down for maintenance uh, without actually affecting your running uh, website. So true headless is an enabler. Uh, I have had a lot of great experience working with a platform called Enterspeed. So this is not supposed to be an advertisement for Enterspeed. I just want to mention what that intermediate storage could look like. So Enterspeed is a secret product out there that few people know about because you can basically compare it to a database, except it's built for ingesting data and content. So imagine that you can send in data content from any system into a united content pool. This will never be your master data, but this is all your public information. So you might have your people bios, for instance, flow in from one angle. You might have your inside pieces from Passel flow in from one angle and your content from your content management system, even your job postings from the talent acquisition platform. And then in Ensuspeed, there's an, 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 the option of what is it's used for is for aggregating that data. So you can grab your navigation from the content management system, put it together with your article from Passel and grab the footer from, uh, from your CMS system as well. You can even add related people from your bio information or related jobs from your talent acquisition. All of that can be aggregated inside Instaspeed. This is the development task. So it's not something that is minded for for the marketing team, but uh, that's something that will be tailored as part of building a composable architecture. Again, that's where we built the 
content and models that will be exposed through the API to the CMS system. So it's a headless technology agnostic infrastructure. And for me, this or something similar is the centerpiece in a composable architecture. Again, because it can aggregate and transform and test the data from multiple sources, which makes it extremely fast if you were to do real-time integrations to your existing data um, sources, then of course, uh, some of them might be not built for modern uh, internet users. So they might not be fast enough. And then it's the lowest common denominator that decides the performance of your website. By doing this, everything will be ready and aggregated. So what happens here is as soon as a source uh, changes, so let's say you make a change to a pastel article or a biography that is included on multiple pages, the platform will understand that this change has, has happened and then it will rebuild all dependent models so they are ready. Uh, so as soon as that change happens, the rebuilding of the models will occur. And as soon as the rebuild is done, within milliseconds, the new data is actually available at a very fast um, performance. Um, and it's also more sustainable than what we usually do because data is not processed on it's processed on chains, but not on the request. So we don't combine the data together whenever somebody visits a page. It's done when changes occur. True headless. This might be a little bit technical. So I'm conscious if there's any questions revolving around this part at this point in time. Mikhail, we've had uh, another question come in and you may have kind of answered it in the last section, but um, maybe you could kind of go over this in as simpler terms as possible. Um, but how is this approach different to using WordPress and plugins? Yes. Okay. So using WordPress and plugins makes your content management system the centerpiece. And that means that everything will be tied to WordPress. If you're happy with the functionality and there's not a lot of changes in the, in the future, then that's basically fine. Um, but I know there's a lot of plugins for, for WordPress, but there's not necessarily a plugin for your specific purpose. Um, and then it becomes a little bit complicated. So again, this is um, trying to divide and conquer. So looking at different responsibilities, you have each system is not dependent on the other systems. So your uh, insights activities and your talent acquisition and your content, for instance, those are three different sources and none of them own your website presence. That's all done in this data layer and aggregation. So that means that you can change your WordPress without changing all the other bits. Whereas if you use plugins in WordPress and you integrate everything directly into WordPress, you'll never be able to change the WordPress. Then you'd have to rebuild the entire thing and of course, depending on the effort that you put into this and the cost and budget, then that uh, return on investment is, is, is decreasing rapidly if you have to uh, change the entire platform. Um, but uh, I'm conscious of time, so I need to proceed here because I do want to uh, address a few other things. I can already tell that I won't be making it through everything, unfortunately, but let me quickly proceed here. So I just want to show you uh, an example of how all of this fits together. And this is, I promise, the most technical uh, slide that I'll present and I'll do it uh, a little bit quick. So in essence, we subdivide the 
website platform into three different layers. We have a publishing layer, we have a true headless layer, and then we have a presentation layer. So your publishing layer will, of course, revolve around your content management system. The content management system will ingest all the content. So whenever you publish or, or save an item, it will be updated inside this true headless layer. The true headless layer can then actually push that information into a search engine as well, which means that whenever things change, we change the search index. So now search is also updated uh, in this intermediate layer. Then what we like to do is to build a static website on top of this content, because again, as I said before, things only gets updated whenever they change. So that means that if you don't publish a page or an article for a very long time, you don't have to regenerate it on every single visit as is what's normal practice. By doing a static site generation, we basically build a single HTML file for that page and then publish that onto the website. And then if there's no changes to that page, that page never changes. Then for protection and scalability, we like to put a platform called Cloudflare in front, which basically is a global CDN delivery network. And then of course, there's a few dynamic parts to the website. So for that purpose, we introduce a backend for front-end API, which is basically the content delivery API enabling us to do real-time search and to display related content. So of course your related articles are not static. So on a bio, you'd want the articles to update whenever there's a new uh, article from that, uh, that, that uh, professional. So that cannot be statically generated. We'll bring that in on demand and the same with content. So this, at this point in time, it's still just a simple um, content management system with a headless front-end with an intermediate layer. So think about introducing Pascal into this uh, this mix. So now the Pascal insights articles can throw, flow into enter speed. And when they hit enter speed, we can generate the same pages and the articles. So now enters this seamless unified user journey because the user will not know that this uh, article is coming from Pascal or CMS. They won't even know what kind of CMS is behind it. They will have a seamless integrated experience with your main navigation, your photo, and other pieces of content around the, the article seamlessly displayed, which is the main point here. But also this enables federated search. So now in Insta Speed, we can push to the search index your articles as well. So the site search can now search across these uh, multiple sources. And that goes for talent like a system platform or any system that you might want to include into your composable mix. So now, whenever a change occurs, I didn't have that. Whenever a change occurs here, uh, you can substitute any of these subsystems uh, and flow the data into your true headless layer. And then you change the aggregation that happens in the true headless layer. So the contract of the content API is the same, which means that that's where uh, you localize the change to that single component rather than your entire platform. Hope that makes sense. Um, fair bit technical here. Any, any questions at this point in time? There's no open questions at the moment, but if anyone has any, um, please pop them in the Q&A. So I was about to go into um, search a little bit more, 
I kind of explained the high level of this, so maybe I'll do this a little bit fast with an example from our own website. So basically an important thing here is that every page can be, or every piece of content, whether it's from the CMS system or anywhere else can be represented by a search tile. It doesn't necessarily have to be graphical as in this case, but there's, there's different ways to showcase a search result. Um, and then taking that to the next level, uh, we'd like to differentiate the different sources. So we actually have the opportunity to, to create search models that is distinct for each of the source platforms. So in this case, I have three different uh, things. There's an inside piece or an article from our own website. There's an event and there's a profile, uh, our uh, global CTO from Denmark. Um, adding a content type indicator to your search result. Um, this is content from Passel. This is content from an event platform. And this is content from, uh, from a bio tool of some sort. In our case, it's a CMS. But again, to separate concerns, it would be make sense to actually have a distinct uh, platform just for managing your, your bio information. So again, this is this. Imagine that when someone searches for something, we can bring in seamless a result across all of those different sources and present it in a single uh, search functionality. And for me, as a user, again, this is a user-centric nature of composability. Now everything has been composed together. So as a user experience, it's seamless and integrated. I don't see the difference. I just see what's relevant for this search. And then I can even tell the difference between the different search results. Okay, uh, I'm gonna fast forward a bit because I do want to go into uh, another thing, which is the investment profile, which is quite important here as well. So is composable uh, architecture for everyone? No, that's the straight answer. Again, there's no silver bullet, there's no single approach. It depends on the complexity of your business model or your IT landscape, and it also depends on the scale of your business, of course. So things to consider is, of course, the total cost of ownership. And again, this is relevant if you know that changes will happen in your organization or in your business, or if uh, if you want to, or if you bring in or integrate multiple systems, then changes are more likely. So the total cost of ownership here will be lower with the composable architecture, but it will have a more uh, initial cost to it. More about that in a second. You also need to consider time to market. Um, do you really need a complex solution or can you fit into any standards? You also need to think about what is your desired customer experience. If you're, if you're perfectly happy with having your insights and your website is two uh, different pieces, then that's definitely also something that can be done. And for some use cases, it's fine. Uh, but the more sources you have, the more data you want to bring together and create this faceted search uh, on top of. What you need to know, of course, is that um, the implementation of a composable architecture is initially a little bit more expensive than a monolithic platform because there's more moving parts, there's a little bit more complexity, everything needs to be tailored together. Whereas the box solution just need a configuration if you stick to the functionality that's in the box. But on the longer run, you'll see that the total cost of ownership for the monolithic platform will go up above 
uh, your compostable platform. And to put that a little bit into, uh, into perspective here, the implementation will be more expensive for your uh, composable architecture. License costs may or may not be the same depending on the choices. If you choose open source components, then of course uh, it will be less than if you choose a commercial content management system, for instance. Your infrastructure cost will typically be less as well because now you don't have to host that entire monolith and scale that entire monolith, but each and one of the microservices can be hosted individually and thereby use less computation. You can scale one aspect. You can utilize search as a service, which means that hosting is, is, is cheaper. And then the real benefits starts to occur. Uh, the change cost is significantly less because you have fewer dependencies and fewer things that are tied together. Scalability is uh, is one of the hidden benefits because you can scale parts of your application. You don't have to scale the entire thing. And with the separation that I just showed you where you have a dedicated web website front end as a static website, uh, the scalability is extreme because it doesn't require any compute. The flexibility is there and the performance is there. So. To recap on that, the cost and the time to market of a monolithic platform is shorter than if you want to go headless because you need to build two systems. It's not double the time, of course, but it requires a little more effort. And then if you go composable, time to market is a little bit higher again, and the cost is also a little bit higher. And then to reiterate on the total cost of ownership in year one, you you'd spend more on building your composable mark-based solution, but already from year two and year three, you'll see significant cost reductions in changes and um, and adding new features or new responsibilities. So that's kind of what the investment profile uh, looks like. And then now I'm almost at the end. The benefits of going in this direction, because I already saw you what the, uh, the not the benefit, what's the um, the downside to doing this is, is the cost and time to market, of course, initially. The benefit is on the long run. First of all, you have a platform that is decoupled and flexible, meaning that you can introduce new things into the mix as they occur in the market or as the opportunities arise. Um, this next thing for me is what I usually advise as being the number one benefit is the longevity and independent platform life cycles. It means that you don't have to throw the entire monolith away when a big change occurs. So they have individual lifespan, so you can keep your CMS system around for a long time, even after end of life, because it's tucked away and it's secure by design, so it's never accessible from the outside. No one will even know what content management system drives your website. But most importantly, the return on investment in your platform is not something that live and die together. Over time, you can slowly exchange or change individual components for other components, meaning it's more agile and it's, it's, it's uh, less costly to do. Then, of course, side effects are high performance and global uh, scalability. It's secure by design. It's also plat platform agnostic. So again, you can mix and match any technologies, any platforms together in this approach because all is based on APIs. And at the end of the day, what this is all about is creating that seamless, integrated, unified user experience where you bring together 
content from multiple sources into a single user experience. That was the words that I prepared for you uh, today. So these are, of course, the, the, the key takeaway of, of this approach, that these are the benefits and cons associated. Thank you, Mikhail. Um, that was very interesting. And yeah, hopefully all of you on, on today's webinar found that um, insightful. Um, we, we did have another question come in um, from Jeff, who said he would like us, it's more of a request, I guess, he would like love to see a live example of a true headless and composable architecture site. Could you share one with us? Yes, sure. So without, uh, I don't like to put any clients in front of or any of our clients in front of other clients, etc. Currently, uh, we are building a very ambitious uh, website for a client, a global client, which is true headless, composable, and so forth. Um, our own website is built um, based on all of these uh, strategies as well. Uh, so novacell.com. Uh, or co.uk is an example where there's a federated integrated search. The screenshots that are shared for search during this presentation is from uh, from our own website. So I'd like to showcase that uh, instead of actually highlighting any specific clients. Also, I need uh, the permission to actually do that. Um, but again, this is something that we don't only apply within uh, legal and professional services. This is also something we apply within commerce, big retail clients um, in Europe, where we've built composable architectures as well. Um, everything ranging from a, a normal retail uh, company to a paint manufacturer and so forth. So there's plenty of examples. Um, but Novazel.com is a good, um, good example. But the thing is that you will not recognize that that's the case because it's fast and because you don't see the chains in where data come from. Thank you. Um, and we just had another question come in um, that says, I'm not sure if I understand this, but is the product EnterSpeed or is it Novacell? EnterSpeed Enter is a SaaS service. So it's it's not Novacell. That's a SaaS service that we utilize. The search engine that I displayed here is something called Algolia. That's another sensor. So in my opinion, these are best of breed. Currently, mm -hmm. if you are embarking on an amb ambitious website uh, rebuild, Algolia is a fantastic search engine, a search as a service uh, where you as an owner can go and edit the search results and can pin things and do other kind of things. Interspeed is, is exactly the same. It's an external SaaS service. Um, you can compare it to a database or to a cloud uh, hosting provider in the, in the fact that it's not something that you as a, as a website owner will get your hands into. It's something that powers the, the website underneath, but it is a SaaS service uh, um, external to Nubisoft. Netlify has something similar called Netlify Connects and also the content management system, Content4, uh, and another one called Uniform has uh, similar capabilities of aggregating data from. But the difference here is that then the CMS is again the centerpiece of your platform. So this is the one of the true platform agnostic ways of, of composing data and content together. Thanks, Mikkel. Um, Hopefully that answered your question. Um, we have another question here, which is a, a good one, I think. So it is, 
if you develop a site with composable architecture, uh, with sorry, with a, a composable architecture agency, so like Novacell, are you then locked in with the agency, or are there other developers and freelancers out there who can take over such a project post development? Yes. So, um, the, of course, you can take your platform elsewhere. Um, I actually prefer it in that way because I want I. I we as a company prefer honesty and we want to advise uh, our clients rather than bind our clients to us. So there's a few things here. Uh, for instance, the hosting environment, that's typically a tenant owned directly by you as a business. All the SaaS services is owned directly by you as a, a, as a, a direct ownership. So that can be transferred without us. Then, of course, it does require some knowledge about the different platforms out there. So a single uh, freelance developer is probably not going to cut it. But then if, if that's your, if that's how you run your website, then Composable might not be for you in the first place because it does require a little more budget and the cost will be, be higher than that. Um, but at the end of the day, it's all uh, open tooling with extensive documentation so anyone really can pick up and learn if they don't know uh, already. So the last thing we want to do is, again, my main point here, avoid getting locked into those early choices of platforms, but also for vendors. So in being true composable, you should also be able to compose your organization around this. And that means taking uh, your platform to other vendors. I have examples from our own um, one of our, some of our own clients where we compose together multiple systems that are developed by other uh, agencies. So we're basically collaborating with other agencies to bring uh, the content together on the, on the website. Brilliant. I think that's a, the, the mark of a, a good trustworthy agency is that they're open to, to letting you move on and not locking you in, isn't it? So, um, yeah, I'd rather you. I'd rather you'd stay because uh, you get, have a good experience and we're doing doing a good job. Then I'll have to stay because I put a lock on your on your leg. Uh, to be honest, <laughs> yeah, hundred percent, brilliant. Okay, thank you. Um, I haven't had any more questions come in. If anyone has any um, last questions, please pop them in um, now, and we can uh, address those before we end things off. Um, Mikhail, thank you for that. That was um, brilliant. And hopefully you've all learned something and enjoyed today's session. Oh, I've just had, there's another question here, sorry. Uh, professional service funds. Okay, professional services funds in-house web team tend to focus on being experts in using the CMS. Does going composable or headless change the type of skills that firms need in-house? Not necessarily. It depends on the level of um, flexibility you like. So I like to say that there's two overall approaches to going composable. One is automated. That means that together we decide, us and you as the, as the owner of the platform, how data needs to flow. So you can tell me, for instance, that all my bios and articles are in these systems. I like them to be pages in, in my website in this location. Uh, in the information architecture, I'd like them to be searchable, et cetera. And then we'll basically make that happen. Then everything will be automated and you don't need any extra skill. Then what we do in the content management system is that we basically enable you to relate anything to any, any 
page to any content in your search index. So that's extending your CMS system with capabilities of searching into the search index, which then make it, you're able to reference any content from any of the subsystems. So that doesn't require anything than thinking and understanding what content is available and how can I bring it to life and compose it together. Then there's the more manual approach where this is other types of platforms. I mentioned Uniform and Contentful, some of the new functionalities they have. They take this to the extreme. So basically, if you are as an editor, you want to add a hero component to a website, then you can actually go and specify, I want the title to be pulled from a job posting. I want the image to be pulled from my digital asset management system and the text I want to compose that directly in the content management system. So taking this composability to the extreme where you look at each individual data item on your page and that of course puts a bigger responsibility on the editor to know where to draw um, the content from. So I think it can go both ways depending on your organization's skills and bandwidth which is again why Best of breed is not best of breed, it's best of need and capability. So depending on which way you're floating, we can automate or we can enable. Brilliant. Thanks, Mikel. And um, just conscious of time, um, I think that's probably all of the questions today. But of course, you can um, contact and, and get in touch with Mikel uh, via LinkedIn um, and connect with him there. We do have another CMO series webinar coming up, um, so don't miss that. Um, it'll be another interesting topic covering the war on talent and the opportunities for today's legal CMOs. And that's delving into some research by the BTI Consulting Group, um, and that'll be talking to Michael Reinawessa, uh, the president there. I just want to say thank you all for joining. Thank you, Mikhail, again. Um, it was a real pleasure to have you on and to hear again more um, in more detail about Composable Architecture. Thank you for having me.